that's actually when I had just started the coaching program. And um, the parting words of, of the coaching instructor, you know, they always want to give you the words of inspiration at the end. And he said, don't just tolerate life. And those words just, just hit me in the gut. It was like, oh, my God, I'm tolerating everything in my life. Welcome back to the Innovator Podcast, the female entrepreneur series that dives into the stories of how women founders tackled hardship and difficulties to ultimately find success. My name is Erica Sullivan and I am the host of the Innovator Podcast. And before we hop into today's episode with Michelle Ann Hang, I have to take a moment to remember Ruth Bader Ginsburg. If you have not seen On the Basis of Sex, I highly recommend heading over to Amazon and watching the movie today. RPG is an icon, a legend, and a powerhouse that changed the way the world is for American women by fighting in the courts for gender equality. She was a pioneer, led the way for women, and a huge inspiration to me as I tackle my entrepreneurial journey. One of my favorite quotes that I read uh, in articles that were recounting her life is that she was so small in stature but strong in will. I mean, heck yes. What an amazing woman. I've linked an NPR article in the show notes that does, in my opinion, a great job breaking down RBG's life and explaining her impact for women in the United States. While I am on tangents this morning before we hop into the episode, I also wanted to take a second to thank the amazing listeners who have left reviews on Apple Podcasts. Your words of encouragement and kind words are so appreciated. If you have a moment, please head over to Apple Podcasts and leave a review. Your support paves the way for me to bring and invite bigger and bigger names onto the show and opens up so many opportunities I could have only dreamed of in past years to bring on people to share advice with you all. Today, I'm welcoming Michelle Anhang to the Innovator Podcast. Michelle is a personal certified coach who arrived at life coaching after almost 20 years in law and finance. She holds a BA in psychology from York University in Canada. Michelle had a difficult journey that led her to where she is today, and she uses these experiences to support families living with mental health challenges, and her mission is to end the stigma surrounding mental illness. In addition to working one-on-one with clients, Michelle also leads workshops and women's circles on personal empowerment, mindfulness, and meditation in both Canada and the U.S. Whether Michelle is challenging you to reframe negative beliefs or motivating a group to find the courage to find the courage to be seen, she creates and holds space for self-compassion and fierce enthusiasm to flourish. Michelle, welcome to the Innovator Podcast. Hi, Michelle. How are you? I'm great. Thanks. How are you? I'm doing great. I am ecstatic to have you on the podcast today because you come with a lot of experience and a skill set that I think would be highly beneficial for a lot of our listeners today. You had almost 20 years in law and finance, and then switched over to being a certified life coach. Um, I want to dive right in. So can you start us at the very beginning and talk to us a little bit about what your early life was like and how your story has evolved to get you where you are today? 
Oh, sure. Well, first of all, thank you so much for having me. I'm, I'm really happy to be here. Um, so I, yeah, the, the, you know, I grew up in a house where, you know, a very traditional home, very, um, uh, what's the word? I, I, sorry, I'm lost on the word, but, you know, essentially, you know, the adults were the adults, the kids were the kids, and it was very much about conforming to society's expectations. And, um, you know, so, so I learned along the way there are certain rules that you have to play in life to be accepted. And, um, you know, so, so speaking about my career, um, you know, I got married quite young. Um, I got married at 22. Um, also, somebody from, from a traditional background. And, um, you know, at that time, I had thought I might want to be a lawyer. And um, I had, had had my my degree in psychology, interestingly enough. But um, I, you know, because I got married so young, yeah, I needed to work. And so I thought, okay, well, I don't have time right now or finances to go to law school, so I will um, become a law clerk. And so that's what I did. Um, did that for about twelve years. It was it was great for me at the time. Um, it was. Um, you know, it paid the bills, it was nine to five, I could leave my job, you know, leave work for the day and not have to think about it when I was home. It worked well for me, I, you know, as I had my babies, I, I have two sons and, um, and it was great until it wasn't because it really wasn't, um, wasn't what I was meant to do in, in the world. <laughs> and um, finance was similar. Um, so I, I left um, law and, you know, sadly, my, my husband passed away when I was 34, and I, I know we'll dive into that a lot more. Um, but um, essentially, a couple of years after my husband passed that, you know, I was on, on leave for a bit, and a friend asked me to join his finance company, um, which I did. I was very excited to be back at work. I thought, okay, this is a perfect situation because, you know, he knows me, he knew my husband, he knows I've got little kids. So, um, you know, I, I can kind of work around this this new, you know, situation that I was in, um, you know, being a single mom. And and that was great. I learned a ton. But again, it was one of those things that it was the right thing to do. I was, you know, very much about doing, doing the right thing all the time. And so, you know, that seemed like like a good job to do. And, and it was. I, I learned a ton about real estate. I learned a ton about investing. Uh, I grew a lot in that role. I ended up becoming uh, the financial controller there, um, you know, ma managing you know, close to $100 million um, worth of other people's investments. And and that was great. But again, it was not it was not what what I was meant to do. Um, and I kind of fell into coaching, which is, which is funny, um, or got pushed into it, I should say. Um, my best friend had become a coach, and here I was 10 years into my job and, and complaining about it nonstop. And she said, you know, you, you need to take this coaching course. Just go, go. it's, you know, two and a half days. If you're not, if, you know, you don't like it, you're going to learn some great communication skills. You'll learn great management skills. Like a lot will come out of it, but just go and do it. And I, you know, I resisted her for the longest time um, until, you know, she just really stayed on my case. And then at one point I, I just caved and I was like, okay, fine. Just like if it'll make it, if it'll get you off my back, I will take this course. 
And so I, I showed up and the first day I was like a deer caught in headlights. <laughs> like, oh my God, this is, this is very different from finance. But, you know, as I settled into it, it was like, oh my God, these are my people. Like these are people who have, you know, have lots of feelings and they're okay sharing them. You know, I, I always had big emotions and was told, you know, don't be too emotional. But, you know, it was always like, don't be too much or, you know, you're not enough, <laughs> whichever one is, it's that juggling act that I think many women can relate to. And um, so here I am in this room full of people who are just, you know, owning who they are and, you know, going through this process of growth, you know, personal development was something that I always loved, you know, also having that background in psychology, it was, you know, it was clearly a sign of something, but um, here I was and I, I realized I found my calling. And so there was no turning back from there. <laughs> That's so fascinating to me to hear a little bit about, you know, the path that led you where you are today, because I had the opportunity to read on your website a little bit about your childhood and early life. And you have a very powerful, difficult story that I think is a reason why you are such a good resource for the families that you work with or others that you work with who are dealing with maybe similar situations. So would you mind, you know, giving the audience a little bit of context into your early life, you know, with your early family as well? Um, yeah, sure. I'm happy to. Um, so, so I mentioned, you know, very traditional home. It was quite, um, quite constrictive, a lot of rules, um, a lot of, um, yeah, a lot of control, very strict. And um, so, yeah, you know, I, I say like I, I, I basically described it that I, I learned how to be invisible while being in plain sight because I found that that was the safest way for me to be. It was just like don't draw attention to yourself, just kind of fly under the radar. If nobody notices you, then you're not going to be shamed or judged or yelled at or whatever it was. Um, so I, I was quite well practiced at that, um, you know, but sadly it also had a huge impact on my self-worth and my self-esteem. Um, you know, I, I really um, was really hard on myself because that's what I grew up knowing love to be that, you know, it's a lot of judgment and a lot of criticism and um, so I became a really harsh critic of myself. Um, and then, you know, as I mentioned, I, I got married young, um, you know, partly to get out of the house. <laughs> but I also, I, I loved my husband dearly. We were together from the age of 18. So we were, you know, pretty much end of high school sweet, sweethearts. And um, so, yeah, four years later, coming from traditional families, that was the obvious course of, well, you're 22 now, so you better get married. <laughs> and, and so we did and, and had our, our, our boys. And um, unfortunately, what we didn't know was that um, my husband had um, severe mental illness. Um, it, it kind of, it, slowly was progressing over time. Um, you know, in the beginning, the episodes, you know, either he did, he did a really good job at hiding it because he, he came from, you know, his family was, was different than mine. His family was, and is a lot more loving. Um, but a lot of the same things of, you know, appearance matters and what people think and certain things are not talked about. And so he never, he, he, you know, hid his, his mental illness. 
And then, um, you know, as things progressed and, and he finally got the diagnosis, it was again, you know, he felt he felt a lot of shame around it. He didn't want people to know like he had reached a point where um, he, well, he was diagnosed with bipolar disorder and a form of schizophrenia. And um, by the time we got the diagnosis, it had progressed so much that he couldn't work. Like he was either in bed for days or having manic episodes. And, and he was he was pretty ashamed of that. You know, he wanted to be, you know, like his dad, who, you know, was the provider and he felt that was his role. And so, you know, there was there was a lot of shame for him around that. So we didn't tell pretty much anybody what he was going through. Um, you know, the close family knew and a few close friends knew, but otherwise it was, um, it was a secret. And, you know, we, we made up stories of, you know, what, that he, why he was home during the day, you know, we came up with great excuses and, um, you know, his, his, you know, and over this time, his illness just kept getting worse and worse. And sadly he died by suicide, um, shortly after his 35th birthday, I was 34 at the time, and my kids were seven and four. And um, when the family was gathering, you know, when, when we first got the news and, and we're sharing it with everybody, um, somebody had turned to me, one of the family members, and said, what are we going to tell people? And, you know, I was like, you know, the first reaction is like, huh? And then, of course, you know, with all of my my conditioning and, and my thought processes, I immediately went into that space of shame of like, oh my gosh, how is this my fault? What did I do wrong? What could I have done better? What could I have done differently? How do I tell my kids this? They're seven and four. They're not going to understand. I don't understand this. So so how do I explain it to them? And so when the person then said, you know, why don't we say it was an accident? I was very quick to agree. Like, yeah, let's do that. Um, because I, I didn't even know how to how to process any of it, and it just felt like it was the easier way to go. Um, unfortunately, it was not. It, I, I chose the difficult path, <laughs> and um, didn't really realize it until ten or eleven years later. You know, my own mental health challenges later. What, you know, I, I think I had depression at different points in my life, but kind of pushed it away and just kind of plowed through. Um, I think I, I, I'm the queen of, of autopilot. So, um, you know, but, you know, by the end of my husband's life, I was at that point working two jobs, taking care of the little ones. Um, he really was not functioning well at all. So yeah, at that point it was like, okay, shut off all emotions and just go like one day at a time, one foot in front of the other. And, um, and, and do what you need to do. So I just kept doing that for 10 years. Um, but, you know, as I said, it, you know, I had depression. I wasn't able to grieve the suicide. I couldn't talk about it. Um, I was constantly anxious as well of, you know, what if, what if the secret gets out? What if somebody tells my kids accidentally? Um, so really, you know, more tiptoeing around, around life. Um, till, till I hit my 45th birthday and around that time. Um, and, um, you know, I, that's actually when I had just started the coaching program and, um, the parting words of, of the coaching instructor, you know, they always want to give you the words of inspiration at the end. And he said, don't just tolerate life. And, those words just, just hit me in the gut. It was like, oh my God, I am tolerating everything in my life 
you know, it, it, I realized, you know, I, I was in a relationship at that point and, and I was very unhappy. So much of it reminded me of, of my childhood home. And I guess that's what attracted me to this gentleman. And, um, you know, I wasn't happy in my job. I didn't, you know, I, I was tolerating so many things because I thought they were the right things to do. And I should I should be grateful that I have this secure job. I should be grateful that I have this man in my life that, you know, wants to be with me and my kids who are full time. You know, so, so many things, so many shoulds. And I woke up to that and I was like, I, I don't want to live that way anymore. Like I was in so much pain and, and I realized like, oh my God, I'm 45. I can't live the next half of my life in this much pain. Like I knew, I didn't know what I wanted, but I knew I wanted more for myself. And so I went into deep healing work and, um, you know, start, started that journey of healing. Wow. I mean, so powerful. and So, so is your story led you where you are today because there is such a stigma surrounding mental health that you're working to get people to reframe it and see it as something where, yes, it's hard to process, but you shouldn't feel shame. You shouldn't push it away. Here's how to process. And that's part of the work that you do with families who are dealing with similar situations. So do you want to talk to us a little bit about the work you do and kind of um, the services per se that you offer? Yeah, definitely. Um, so yeah, so so during during my healing process, I, you know, obviously, I, I came to the point where I couldn't keep the secret anymore. I, I feel like I should mention that because well, I, I'm talking about it now. Um, and I told my kids and in telling them, um, and, and working with my own coach at that point, I realized the people that I was meant to work with were people who are going through similar situations um, than I went through, dealing with either a family member who has um, a mental health challenge, or maybe they themselves have their own mental health challenges, you know, and are maybe working with a professional, but they want more for themselves the same way that I did. And, you know, and so the work that I do, I mean, I do, I do quite a bit of speaking and mental health advocacy and just talking about overcoming shame, um, and then the one-on-one -on -one work that I'm doing is, is helping people realize that, you know, for one thing, like, whatever you're feeling and whatever you're going through, it's okay. Um, knowing that, that you're supported um, and, you know, starting with me, if, if sometimes people don't know who else to turn to, and then through, from that place, then we start, you know, kind of looking into the networks and like, who can you lean on? Who can you be there? And learning different tools on... Um, taking care of yourself on um, recognizing there are things that we can do, like, you know, say, say for depression or anxiety, um, I, I became trained in mindfulness and meditation and recognizing there's so much within our power. Like, you know, I think as a society, as a culture, we kind of have this idea that, okay, we, we have this diagnosis and so we'll take medication and the medication will make us better. And then we don't feel better and we don't know why. And it just, you know, and it becomes this, you know, really a downward spiral. But really, the truth is there, there are so many other things. I mean, we, we know, you know, we hear, oh, exercise and you should, you know, self-care and, and eat healthy and sleep well. But we don't know where to start. We don't know what to do. So, so working with the individuals, I, I help people 
create a plan that really works for them and learn to take care of themselves. Because I know for me, um, you know, I spent this, I spent my life in, in the land of should. And it was all about what everybody else thought. And it was never about me. And it was at the expense of, of me and my identity and myself and my health and my self-love. And, and I've since shifted that and just realized that like, unless I take care of myself, I'm not good for it. I'm not helping anybody else around me. And I'm not at my best and I'm not performing my job well. And so really that's, that's the crux of it is just taking care of ourselves. And then, you know, for the family members of people who have mental health challenges, we so often get lost in their illness. And, you know, I, I know for myself and, and, you know, all the clients that I'm working with and, and feedback I've gotten from other people too, you know, there's that part of us that feel like, you know, we see them suffering and we somehow think that, well, maybe if I just love them a little bit more or love them harder or give them suggestions that'll help them fix themselves and I can make them better. And that's not what they need from us. They, they just need us to love them. And, again, goes back to, you know, to be able to love them the way that they need it, we need to love ourselves first. And so really learning how to fill our own cups so that we're overflowing and we can get that overflow to our family member rather than coming from this depleted place. And I know as women, you know, we, we live in that depleted space so much until, you know, until we're, we're hurting ourselves. And sometimes, you know, that's when we finally wake up to it. And sometimes we don't. And so it's just recognizing like, no, you know, you come first, you know, and, and in a healthy way, it's about boundaries. It's about, you know, taking care of yourself, doing things that feel good, filling yourself up with things that you love so that that's what you're radiating and it extends outward to everybody around you. Yeah. Let's pivot a little bit and talk about COVID-19 because it's no secret that the past few months have been difficult and kind of going off the discussion of self-love and empowerment. I'd love to chat a little bit about what people, especially women, because they're the majority of the audience listening, can do during this time if they're struggling with self-love and they feel depleted and they feel like their cup isn't full. Yeah, that's, that's a great question. And I, I, um, I speak quite a bit on that. Um, so really, you know, it, this is a very scary time. There's, there's no, no doubting that. There's no dancing around that. Um, you know, there's, there's so much unknown right now. So it makes sense that we are all feeling this, this huge amount of stress, of anxiety, of fear, and it shows up with people in different ways. Some people have depression, some people have anxiety, and it's all varying levels, but it's really impacting every area of our lives. And I, I teach, um, you know, I, I do actually teach classes on this of just really starting from the basics, like right down to like setting a routine for yourself of what time am I going to bed every night? I know that as soon as, you know, we went on into quarantine, suddenly like everybody's up till one or two in the morning watching the news or, you know, on social media, whatever you're doing. And then, you know, getting up at whatever time, our bodies don't function well like that. So it's really about creating routine. Have that time of the day that you get up, no matter what, for me at seven o'clock, whether I have my first appointment at nine or my first appointment is at one, I'm up at seven. Um, 
eating well. A lot of us, I know we've been binge eating, we've been baking, we've been doing a lot of things that are unhealthy and, and we're not feeling good about that right now. So, so look, leaning into that and just saying like, okay, I'm not feel, feeling good. Well, what, what will feel good going into my body and really being intentional about what we're eating. And it's not to say cutting out the cake or the, you know, nachos. That's, that's my, my personal, <laughs> um, craving, but it's not cutting that out, but it's just creating the balance of, you know, having more healthy stuff than, than unhealthy stuff. Um, and it's about finding the things that, that lift you up, you know, and for me, it was about, you know, going for walks every day that that's, you know, part of my morning routine. I do meditation, um, you know, I journal. Journaling is an amazing way to get out all the emotions um, and not feel like you're burdening anybody else with it. You know, if you're tired of talking about it and complaining, just write away and, you know, let it all, get it all out on paper. Um, and, you know, again, just filling your time with things that you love, staying connected with people that you love and people people that fill you up. Like we, we all know, we all have those friends that like we get off the phone with them and we're just like, we're exhausted and we're drained. And so this is where boundary setting comes in. And it's, you know, recognizing what, you know, who is healthy for me and who is not. And again, it's not about cutting people out, but it's about choosing, choosing when you have the energy. Like I have certain friends that I, I can't speak to them in the evening. I'm tired and I'm already feeling depleted. I, I know that I'm not going to have a conversation with them, but I'll call them in the morning after I've done my routine and I filled my cup and I'm feeling better. So, so much of it is about timing and boundaries could be also about social media or the news, like recognizing and being aware of the things that drain you. So limiting those and then adding the resources. So, you know, whatever hobbies you might be into. And I know, I know we're limited even still wherever we are and however much we're opening up, it's still not what it was pre-pandemic, but whatever ways that you can do it, um, you know, try and engage in whatever those activities are, whatever the hobbies are. It's, it's adding those filling resources throughout our day that will keep us up. So kind of going off the importance of setting a routine for yourself, can you mm -hmm. walk us through a normal day in your life if there even is such a thing as a normal day? <laughs> so yes, thank you. That's a great question. So I created a normal day um, because yes, the, there there was is, is no more normal. So for me, like I mentioned, I get up at seven and I take my shower, I make my coffee, um, after I'm dressed, I will sit down and meditate. Um, I usually pull a card. I love Oracle cards. So that kind of gives me, you know, a, a nice perspective for the day to go into. I will do some journaling. Um, then I go for a walk. It is very, you know, and, and, and I do my workout as well. I do YouTube videos because my gym has not reopened and I'm hearing it won't open until sometime in mid-September. Um, so it takes a few hours for me to do this. And I have to say, like, I am blessed that I work from home and I create my own schedule. But I was very intentional and I don't need to get up at seven every day, but I do because my routine is so important to me. And, um, you know, then, then after I'm done with all of that, I see my clients, I'm working, have dinner, and I'm in bed at 10. 
And I, I love it. It's, you know, I used to be going to bed 11, 30, 12, like for decades now. <laughs> and and um, I've never felt better. And, and I don't feel like I'm missing out on anything. Like It's funny. It's like, you know, 930 rolls around and I'm starting to feel it's like, oh, yeah, I get to go to bed soon. <laughs> and <laughs> but I wake up feeling refreshed. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'm the exact same way. I'm an early to bed, early to rise kind of person. I'm normally up by seven and in bed asleep by 9.45 if I even make it to seven. There you go. Yeah. And I've taken to drinking green juices. I never did that before. I would like turn my like turn away like, oh, that's gross. But now I love them. And I love the way that my body reacts to them and and how much my body loves it. So that just motivates me to do it more. So it's great. So what is a book, a resource or a podcast that you love and want to share with the audience? Mm. Well, I, I was thinking about one of my favorite books, but then it actually, I actually changed my mind and decided I was going to talk about um, a book I read recently, which is called um, Personality Isn't Permanent by Benjamin Hardy. I think it's a relatively new book. Um, and what I loved about that book was, well, for one thing, you know, he kind of blows apart the idea of, of the personality testing that we do. Um you know, because we get so fixed on that's who I must be. And I now need to fit into that box. And I'm all about, you know, I used to have to try to, you know, I'd be trying to squeeze myself into these boxes of what I should be fitting into. And now I'm like, oh, throw the box away. So I love the idea, the concept of that, of just, you know, really being free to explore who you really are and then, and, and accepting that. And he talks about creating the image of our future self. And then from that place, living each day in the moment based on whether or not that serves our future self. And I've actually, I'm looking at it right now. I've got this like sticky note um, right in front of me on my desk. And it says, make your future self the new standard for your daily behavior. Hmm. And yeah, right. (laughs) And so that really guides me because I know who I want to be. I know what I want to accomplish. And so when I'm, you know, coming up with challenges during my day, like it could be getting lost on Facebook. And then it's like, Oh wait, I I don't want to spend those two hours on Facebook. That, that doesn't serve future me. I could be reading a book. I could be doing something, you know, that, that is still enjoyable and is serving my future self. And then that also guides me with, with my diet of, you know, being, you know, going, going into now, well, I'm, I am middle aged, but, you know, moving into the next stages of my life, I want to be healthy. And so living that lifestyle, continuing the exercising, eating healthy, and it really um, helps me, um, it guide, helps guide me throughout my day. I love that. I'm going to include that in the show notes. So if people want to check it out, it's easy for them to do so. But I love the idea of creating the image of your future self because it always gives you something to work towards bettering yourself opportunity. I mean, that's fantastic. So I'll be sure to include that in the show notes. But Michelle, lastly, where can the audience find you if they want to connect with you? Um, So I'm, I'm all over social media. I'm on, I have a website as well. My website is michelleanhangcoaching.com. Um, I'm on Facebook and Instagram with the same handle, Michelle Anhang Coaching. I'm on LinkedIn. 
Um, I'm on Twitter, but I don't really use it much, but um, I, I'm pretty easy to find. I think the only thing I'm not on at this point is TikTok because my kids mm -hmm. won't let me. <laughs> they tell me I'm too old. So, so I'm listening to them <laughs> for now. Well, perfect. I'll be sure to include um, your website and everything in the show notes as well. So it's easy for people to connect with you. But Michelle, thank you so much for coming on today to talk about your story and share advice and really just help people reframe negative beliefs that they may be having during quarantine or in life. People are not alone. We're here to support. And so thank you so much for coming on today. And thank you for having me.